0: hello and welcome back to the pretty serious bike racing podcast i'm dane cash and we had a little bit of a break there took a little week off to to rest and recover and we're back at it for one more show of 2023 before we head into off-season mode man a whole week without talking bike racing with bike racing analyst extraordinaire Cosmo Catalano. It was tough. I'm glad to see you again. Cosmo, how are you?
1: I am, I am well. I made it through. I'm glad to hear that you are also well, uh, given the circumstances of your previous absence. Yeah, just a little ouchy, just some some serious soreness with me today. but Pretty
0: serious soreness? Pretty serious soreness, which is what happens when you get into a pretty serious uh, crash situation. Uh, but yeah, we're okay. We're, we're podding, we're back to it, and not only am I excited to talk to bike racing analyst extraordinaire Cosmo Catalano, I am also extremely excited to talk to former and future road pro, Ruth Edwards, who has finally been announced as a arrival at Human Powered Health next year. Ruth, congrats, welcome back to the show, can't wait to see you racing on the road again.
2: Yeah, thank you. You know, I was just talking about bike racing all year with you guys. I just missed it so much. Had to go back.
0: (laughs) Well, we're going to really, I mean, it's going to be great next year when you're in the Peloton and we can talk about all of the things that you do on the show. It'll be a little weird, but it'll be really fun, I think.
2: Yeah, super inside scoop.
0: That's right. Yeah. Was there something about the the road Peloton that really, the one thing that like made you say, I got to go back?
2: Uh, In comparison to the gravel peloton or just like in general?
0: (laughs) Well, both, and either, either or? (laughs)
2: Um, I think I just realized that when I stopped in 21 that I I just needed to be home. I needed to reset. I've been really uninjured my whole career as a cyclist, which is not a complaint. It's really great, but um, I just really needed a rest, I think. And when I was still racing gravel, I was motivated to ride my bike, I wanted to be doing it. But the more competitive I try to feel, the more I realized that it just wasn't um, what I love. And it just felt like kind of a waste of myself to be trying to do a sport that I didn't love as much when there is something that that exists like the road peloton that I do. So I'm not quite sure I answered your question, but the difference for me with gravel and road is that right now in the US, we have primarily starts with the men. It's just basically a seven hour time trial, suffer as much as you can. And I've never been the strongest athlete in a peloton, but I've always been a good bike racer. And I think if I'm going to race my bike, then I want to race my bike. And that means being in a peloton with dynamic racing with attacks and options and something different every day. And for gravel, it feels like the same thing every time you go into a race.
0: Uh, For more on your thoughts on the gravel racing scene, by the way, you did write a great story for Escape Collective that people should go check out over at the website. Uh, All right, so we have some racing to talk about today that has happened over the past two weeks.
1: You say some racing, like it's not, these are world tour events, Dane.
0: We have some World Tour racing to discuss that has racing. happened over the past two weeks. In China, uh, not all of that racing was televised, so it you know that kind of takes it down a little bit in terms of the esteem, you might say. Uh, but there was World Tour racing with some World Tour names going at it in Guangxi and uh, Chongming Island in China. We had planned to have Johnny on last week to talk about the Tour of Guangxi from the ground, uh, but... We changed those plans when I, you know, had a little bit of an incident on the bicycle. Uh, So we're just going to have to talk about the racing that we were able to see. The other thing we're going to do this show is do a little season long retrospective analysis. What were our takeaways from the year? Who were the riders? What were the moments? Uh, yeah, that sort of thing. That, that, that really made this season what it was. And We'll also look a little bit ahead to next year and uh, hopefully leave you with some, you dear listeners that is, with some good reasons to be excited about the 2024 season. So lots to get into here, but before we do, let me just tell you really quickly, for one final time in 2023 before we head into off-season mode, go over to escapecollective.com slash join and sign up support this podcast support placeholders geek warning wheel talk the performance process which is ronin's new show we got lots of things in the works over here at escape collective and we need your support to do those things oh there's there's a whole website too by the way yeah we'd love it if you could come be part of our very cool community escapecollective.com join okay cosmo very briefly set the scene what happened at the men's tour of Guangxi this week?
1: Uh, the, the men's tour of Guangxi uh, te- technically might have been last week. But, last, week uh, <laughs> last week, last yeah, week, last week. Yeah, a lot of group sprints on really big roads in areas probably putting up money to bring in the international awareness and economic development. That said, some of the circuit courses were pretty good. They definitely are trying to break the field up a little bit. Uh, one of the group sprints was noticeably smaller than the rest. Um, and then there was stage four, where there was a, an uphill finish, and Milan Vater uh, basically was at the front of the field and felt good and rode even harder and got some space and barely made it to the finish line, uh, fell over after the finish line, I think because the organizers were not thinking this was a fall over after the finish line finish. Um, both he and Remy um, Rojas? Yeah, they were... They were Rojas almost caught him, didn't quite catch him. That was the GC difference. Two more big sprint stages and then a woman's race, uh, at least a Guangxi, that no one could see, um, which is, I think, against the rules for a World Tour race. It um, is. Yeah. But it was a- another win for Yumbo. Uh, you know, it was close in terms of numbers, but it didn't, in terms of like seconds on GC. But there, like I said, it really was, it's still kind of, there was a group sprint inevitability kind of on most of the days and it was really hold your place. Don't lose bonus seconds. Don't let dangerous breaks get away. Um, but you know, it seems to be moving towards being on least on the men's side, more of a, of a um, serious attempt at a bike race. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> serious. sounds bad, but I mean there it's just, there are, I think there's kind of a history of, of races just kind of getting thrown at the back of the calendar and there's sort of like, okay, we'll put up some fencing and a finish line camera. Um, and I, I, it looks sort of like someone with, an eye on a good bike race, uh, wanting to have some sort of thing that wasn't, you know five group sprints and a GC stage. Uh, put this together. So a couple
0: of thoughts. Uh, first of all, the tour of Guangxi is not that old, and they started this race at a pretty challenging time to hold an international sporting event in China. Uh, CoVID happened very early in the existence of this race uh, as a sort of planned entity. And yeah, as you say, I think this year, if you just look at the start list and in general, the race outcome on the men's side, at least, what you see is a pretty World Tour caliber uh, stage race at the end of the season. You know, you're not getting all of the big names, but the, the race saw a number of very talented sprinters taking the sprint stages. This was not, you know, the, the fourth tier guys. Olaf Koy is a very good rider. So yeah, lots, lots to talk about there in terms of this race, I think, really stepping up finally on the men's side, on the women's side, no live coverage. Also, there was the Tour of Chongming Island going on at the same time, and we'll get to that in a second. I just kind of want to point that out, that we're, we're going to jump over there after the Tour of Guangxi, because the women had a whole stage race going on as well, uh, also in China, although extremely far away from Guangxi, by the way. I, don't, I mean, I think if you just assume, oh... Races in China easy to get from one place to the other. Good good time to do it, you know, when you've got another one going on, like Quebec and Montreal, how you have an easy transfer. That's just a short short bus ride. It's actually like it's big. It's <laughs> a long way. Yeah. From from one from one race to the other. Anyway. Guangxi. I was very impressed with the sprinting of Olaf Khoi, who I think has this season has very much entered that conversation of top sprinters and he has done so generally in smaller races so it's it's going to take some time i think racing at the higher caliber events the grand tours before we can really say just how good he is he has yet to do a grand tour in his career but he has been very consistent getting wins he yeah, at the tour of britain as, as anyone will recall who watched that race he won four straight stages and that sort of consistency is hard to do for anybody but particularly for a 22 year old uh, he actually he just turned 22 so he was winning yeah actually he won all of the stages uh, at, at Britain and he won one of his two stages at Guangxi uh, as a 21 year old and then he took another one on his birthday when he turned 22 so that kind of consistency is really hard to achieve and I was extremely impressed by that and you know, I'm sure there will be some questions over at Yumbo Visma about how to juggle this young man's sprinting aspirations when that team has—I'm sure oh, totally just a few.
1: They've done a great job of balancing everyone's ambitions this year. Certainly, the lack of sponsor pressure will make it easier.
0: Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, Mr. Coy will get his <laughs> opportunities. But you know, they do have some—they have some GC talents. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Any other uh, you know big things that stood out to you guys from from Guangxi?
2: I mean, Viviani won or by Grace, <laughs> which is Convincing first, first time how. in a long time. <laughs> I honestly didn't pay that much attention to this race, but I saw that he'd won and I was like pretty excited. And then I saw Yambo Visma won and I was like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're winning everything. But yeah, I mean,. I think I've been a fan of him for a long time. So it's just, I I didn't know it'd been four years, actually. I think I read that online somewhere since he'd won a World Tour race. So I thought that was cool (laughs) to see. He's still alive, winning a little bit now, I guess.
0: His signing with Ineos was actually really great for both parties because they're not going to give him a ton of support in the big races and he probably doesn't merit it, but he gets to go to races like Guangxi and get a World Tour win for the first time in four years. Good for him, Elia Viviani. Kazem, we had a conversation with him like five years ago. I was gonna say, I, I feel like
1: he's you know sort of a friend of the pod, or a friend of the yeah, like anybody
0: pod. who came on our previous show relatively <laughs> early in our careers as podcasters, I have I have some affinity for. So thanks, Elia. Congrats on the win. He basically hadn't won anything since. The, I mean, he, it hadn't been long after that appearance that he went into his winning drought. So good for him. <laughs> Uh, you know, he's got Olympic aspirations, so he's, he's got other things on his mind, but he was able to take that win. Uh, Milan Vater also, I mean, I think we should probably give a shout out to the guy who won the bike race, the overall Milan Vater is not a young rider. He's 27. He has been in and around, uh, you know, the athletic scene for a little while now, but he really came into his own basically in the last few months. I mean, he was on the podium at the Tour of Slovakia and yeah guangxi i mean he really only needed to do really really well on one stage at guangxi because there was only one gc stage as you as you pointed out he uh he made it over the line and that's all he needed to do it didn't really matter if he fell off his bike right after that uh but yeah good good on you milan vader and uh the final world tour gc win of the year i think that's yeah Olaf koi Milan Vader, Jonathan Milan took a stage, Ellie Viviani, Juan Sebastian Milano. They had a nice sort of diverse array of names that that won the various sprint stages. Not sure there's much else to say. Uh, let's talk Chongming Island. What happened to Chongming Island?
1: It was sort of like an earlier version of the Tour of Guangxi where they had a whole lot of big wide roads and group sprint finishes uh, the entire gc was determined on bonus seconds based on positioning in the sprint um, did pass the leader's jersey around between the three stages but it was sort of decided by uh bad positioning and Chiara Consoni being super consistent um, and and taking the taking the win on, on bonus time um, and she's been consistent so rock on we did get some kind of cool finish shots they had a, it looked like they had a big long wire camera along the final 400 500 meters of every stage uh, in addition to the helicopter might have been a drone but it was very stable and it was kind of cool to see it was sort of like the less exciting more revealing version of the champs uh rail camera kind of covering the group sprint from the side um, i'm just wondering if they're practicing new tech or 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 they were just like, hey, we we need to find some way to make this, this more compelling. Uh, it did seem like some of their finish line, traditional finish line shots, especially the straight on camera, were not perfectly aligned. There were some like, I think stage one particularly, there was like an immediate cut right after the bike throw to another shot that made it also unclear who had won. But they eventually sorted it out. Ruth, I was going to ask if you've done like kind of one of these Sort of brand, what behind the ears brand new races? And is there sort of a, you can kind of, can you sort of feel the organizers adapting to putting on bike races or like, what's it like?
2: Hmm, I have to think about that for a second. A brand new race. The first thing that's coming to mind was when I did Tour Britain, I think. And when it, what was the first year it happened, like 2013 or 14, maybe? I don't remember. A long time. The first time they did it, but they did such an amazing job. And I think I was so happy just to be back in England that I don't remember it being a bad time. But we didn't have rules like, you know, you have to have TV coverage or there there were a lot less rules in the last five years alone. I think the progression in um, women's cycling has been so massive that it's hard to even compare a new race 10 years ago to now or even eight years ago or whatever. Um, And then since then, I'm not sure. Because the biggest, newest ones are like, yeah, the Tour de France Femme or Mm -hmm. something like that. But even I think going back to do the Giro next year is going to feel like a new race because that race has been a bit poorly run in the past, but that's not, it's not been a new race, but it doesn't mean it was run well. It doesn't mean we had TV coverage. (laughs) It doesn't mean that I didn't uh, spend a night with six teammates in one hotel room. Like (laughs) those things will happen despite it being, you know, like a long history Mm -hmm. race. So Hmm.
0: we'll have to check in next year when you <laughs> add more new races to your list.
1: I am actually really curious about what the uh, women's Giro looks like on the inside, following, one, the Tour de France Femme, which seems to be as produced as as highly as the men's Tour de France. Uh, like the RCS kind of seeing that and being like, you know, we have this this Giro thing. We could uh, can maybe make that happen here. Too. Hopefully.
2: Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to see it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chiara
0: Consoni, I believe this is her first ever GC win, which... I you know, it's nice to have every now and then a stage race that uh can be won by the riders that aren't exactly stage racing specialists. Yeah, I mean any other big takeaways from this race?
1: I I think cycling should push for narrower roads and sharper corners, at least somewhere near the finish. I think we say may actually maybe saw more of it in the in some of the men's Guangxi stages, but there's just a lot of you know just pedal up around the outside and then get back in the group and it kind of results in these bumper car scenarios. Whereas with a, on you know, an ancient European road from the 1400s with nonsense corners, it's super narrow. Like your position is really determined by, by bike handling, by pack sense versus your ability to not crash and pedal really hard and then recover in a short period of time. If they
0: narrow the roads though, how will we Americans win races?
1: I, do, I don't believe we had any U.S. winners at either of these events. However, it's at a good point. the yeah. definitely ancient roaded Perry Tour, there was a U.S. winner. So Good
0: point. <laughs> also, Ruth's going to be at the Peloton next year, so everything's going to change. All right. Uh, all right. Right after Chongming Island, women's world tour calendar ended at the Tour of Guangxi, which is a one-day race on the women's side. We did not get a chance to watch the race. So there's only so much that we can say about it. But a human-powered health rider won the race. So first of all, congrats, Daria Pikulik, Polish rider, 26 years old. Kiara Kansoni was second, so she had a heck of a week Very consistent. China. Very consistent. And Mia Griffin of Israel Premier Tech Roland took the third spot on the podium. And basically, if you look at her results this season... Through September, she had not finished many races, uh, and she's had a bit of a bit of a strong turn since then. Good for her, Irish rider Mia Griffin. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what else can we really say at the fact that it wasn't televised? That's that shouldn't ever be the big story of the race, but also it needs to be so that organizers
1: kind of can't just get away with it. It's it's hard to talk about. What you can't see, you know, it's it's very strange to kind of go back and read old bike race reports from before, even when like the final 30 minutes of a of a top men's race was televised. And it's like there are reporters talking about the whole previous six hours and it's sort of like you look at the things that you see in the, you know, the grainy old footage on YouTube and you look at the things they wrote about the final 30 minutes and you're like, some of it is debatably not correct. <laughs> and you kind of have to wonder, like. What happened in that previous time where all we have to go on is, you know, a handful of riders, especially if you only read English, um, saying what was going on. So, yeah, I I think it's really critical for bike racing to thrive, to have that footage that everyone can see and have opinions about and and learn from. And I don't know if it's you can't you can't watch what you can't watch. So,
2: yeah, and it's a rule, right? Like that's supposed to have it. That's and there's a reason why that rule exists for many of the reasons you just said.
0: Also, a lot of these races, uh, well, okay, the, the races that have traditionally been tacked on late in the season tend to have a lot of UCI involvement. So you would think that they would follow the UCI's rules. Uh, or not. I, that maybe seems too logical for the UCI. I don't know. Anyway, here we are. Final it's women's world. You say it's
1: cross season. Who, no one's paying attention. It'll be fine. Because everybody's watching cross. I get it. I, okay. I, yeah hope oh, ideally uh, I
0: all right that's that's pretty much the season of races, uh, but we have our overarching thoughts, larger thoughts about the season, so let's shift into that uh, conversation before we kind of close the book on twenty twenty three uh, I asked my my co-hosts here to ruminate on some overarching themes of the year. first of all. You know, most races we try to point out some unheralded riders.
1: Cosmo, who's your unheralded rider of the year? Of the year? I, I, yeah, I've I have unheralded a lot of people. I, I mean, it's there's heralded and there's heralded. I, I, I don't know. Um, I feel like I kind of lean towards Nathan Van Huijdonk because I think there were a couple of classics where he was the strongest guy. Uh, for Yumbo. And just didn't work out for getting him across the line first. Um, in Kerna, Russell Kerna, he could have won. And the other people decided to chase him down. Uh, but, you know, now he is, he has been, uh, you know, non-consensually retired from the sport. Um, so it's its sort of a bummer to see him not get his, his payoff win um, after being on a team that's notorious for, I should say notorious, that has done a really good job Uh <laughs> intentionally or otherwise, of spreading wins around among supporting riders. Uh, per, you know, I think particularly their, their, their kind of one-day teams or their classic squad has done a better job than their Grand Tour squad of of spreading wins around. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, that may be as much sentimental as anything. And also, he's been pretty heralded too. Um, I kind of maybe see Christine majeris on the s day works team uh sort of being in a similar boat where she's a really strong rider who's really good at a lot of things in depending on race situation she could easily have won a couple times this year and just kind of put it on the back burner but she's also been you know she's 36 like she's won a lot of stuff she did win the luxembourg title against the other seven people in luxembourg so good for her um but uh yeah that's that's I guess I'm looking at season long unheralded writers. I'm looking at the ones who did the most work for the best teams uh, with the least heralding. So
0: I think if there's a lifetime achievement award, you know how the Academy Awards always do that. Mm. Myris is like the lifetime achievement unheralded writer. <laughs> Cause she's been doing this for so long with so little heralding. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, Ruth, I'm reading the run sheet here, and so I, the the listeners don't know, but I know what you're going to say, but I want you to say it. Uh, Tell me who your unheralded riders of the year are.
2: (laughs) I had put down that I don't love this question because I feel like such a tiny percentage of everybody that is competing in bike races wins the bike race, and then there's Literally almost everybody else that doesn't win the bike race. And I think when you're looking at an overall year, like how do you pick one teammate? Like does somebody on every team that does every bike race um, and, you know, very rarely do they get to have a win. So I thought it was just kind of a hard question to answer. And I didn't I couldn't think of just one person that did a better job of being a teammate than everybody else and then my brain just tends to like just go to people I know and I'm like well that's not fair you can't just pick Loretta Hanson because you know Loretta Hanson and she's a great person but like I think that's
0: fair you no, know that's, but that's
2: there's fair just, there's a Loretta Hanson on every team it's just like not fair to all the other Loretta Hansons that I don't know as well so need know
1: we need a, we need a um, L- Loretta Hanson off to determine which Loretta Hanson is the most Loretta Hanson who's the most
2: I don't think anybody can beat Loretta Hansen, but...
1: Well, I, I think we have a winner then.
2: <laughs> yeah. I but. should
0: also point out that I don't necessarily just mean the domestique who worked really hard that nobody paid attention to, but also anybody who like got you know, decent results but didn't get much credit for it. Yeah. Also, you know, I think they, they fit the bill for heralding. Uh, but as the person who wrote this question, I do somewhat feel personally attacked that you literally wrote, I don't love this question. <laughs>
2: Well, I don't. (laughs) I was sitting there before, being like, "What do I do?" And my husband was like, "Just say that you don't like the question."
0: (laughs) I did say before this show that you know, if we have any good hot takes, we should throw them in here, and that's a that's a hot take, attacking Uh, the questioner. All right, it's not really
1: an attack, Dan. Is I it take really it an attack. One. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I've had a hard
0: week, Cosmo. I, I, come on. I
1: okay, I I'm saying I I'm playing personally that card. my own threshold for attack is I don't love your question is is well below that. <laughs> just a oh, just a poke is what that is.
0: A verbal poke. Uh All right, let me get in my one my shout out and it, it's sort of like I was saying, it's not necessarily a teammate or a a domestique. It's more of a rider who I think deserves more credit for what he did this season. Carlos Rodriguez of Ineos Grenadiers. Yes, he finished at the top five at the Tour de France, and he won a stage there. And I think this team, the Ineos team, the team that won so many tours to France over the past several years, they, they put their eggs in the Carlos Rodriguez basket at the Tour, so that's not nothing. And I don't think anybody really talked much about his season. The fact that he's just 22 years old doesn't impress people anymore because he, you know that's just what happens now with Tadej Pogacar and and so many other young riders. Uh, but he was a heck of a consistent climber all year. He was in the top 10 at uh, Lombardy at the end of the year, and I think at just 22 years old, in most other seasons before the rise of Tadej Pogacar and these. And all these young 22, 23-year-olds who are, you know, crushing, we would talk about Carlos Rodriguez's future a lot more than I think was done this year. When instead, a lot of the conversation was about what the heck is going on at his team. And again, the sort of a team dynamic of if he's on another team, I think people are more excited about a fifth-place finish at the Tour de France from a 22-year-old. But it's Ineos, so it's more like, wow, that's it. Uh, and I feel bad for young Carlos Rodriguez. It's not his fault that he's not getting enough heralding. So I'm going to herald Carlos Rodriguez, the Spanish national champion from last year who went on to take a stage in fifth overall at the Tour de France. Looking forward to seeing what he does next year. Maybe he'll continue to get better. Mm -hmm. And if he follows that trajectory of most 22-year-olds from several years ago, then he could be really good. Or in 2023, maybe this is just, this is what he is now. and, And that's why nobody... Has done enough heralding of him.
1: We'll see. I, I can remember when Ineos slash Skyriders used to get better while they rode for Sky. Um, that did happen. But it happened once upon a time.
0: Yeah. Uh, a long time ago in a long galaxy time. far, far away. <laughs> uh, all right. What were some of the moments that made the season for us, Ruth?
2: i loved worlds the super worlds was really fun it was like awesome what was it two weeks of bike racing to have on the tv i mean as a huge dog and bike with bikes i thought it was great and the road races particularly were amazing i think the both people that won the men and the women's elite road races were just like the people that you would expect but they also did it in a really exciting way and sometimes we have a world championship that's just kind of like Boring, no offense to Remco, but it was kind of boring. And this year was just the races themselves were really exciting. I think the two weeks of Worlds was really exciting. Um, I really liked that. I'd also like to just add that the US men I thought did a really good job this year, and it was really fun to watch a bunch of different guys. I think in the past, the women in the US have kind of like been a lot better and not that Mm. it's a competition but definitely (laughs) i think due to some crashing and unfortunate circumstances the u.s women did a little less good than they typically do but the men for sure uh upped it this year a lot more and you've been slowly seeing that grow the last couple years but this year i think was super cool so those are my two big i think takeaways when i think about um worlds and then for the women's side sd works just won everything which wasn't unfun to watch but um I think just in general worlds was the big one and then watching the men's u.s side rise was pretty fun
0: i mean re worlds and sd works watching a lot of Kopecki racing against demi volering was great yeah uh, and highly entertaining <laughs> and winning for belgium against you know a dutch team that was strong as heck we all knew that they would be uh but yeah that was a pretty entertaining finale with all those big hitters most of whom ride as teammates most of the
1: year <laughs> yeah, yeah it
2: was such a good race
1: cosmo I was gonna say the the chaos uh, amongst Yumbo at the Vuelta. Um, not that it was, per- I mean, the bike racing was okay, but the the kind of drama, the internal team storyline, uh, a lot of that stuff does not happen very often. Um, I think the it helped that we were we had such televisation of it, we had such open commentary on it all over the place. Like there was, it, it was the sort of thing that you know would have merited half a sentence back when. And because we're able to watch this race and watch the whole wheel, we see like, oh, you know, Sepp is leading. Well, he'll probably, you know, he'll fall off the pace and one of his teammates will get the lead. And then it's like, wait, he's still in the lead as we're getting into like kind of the important part of the race. And it it looks maybe like his teammate is attacking him or at least trying to chase down his other teammate. And none of this makes sense. And the the press officer at Yambo is tweeting out just random things. And the team is maybe merging with quick step and who knows who has a job next year. Just that level of drama and speculation and everything kind of layer caked on top of, uh, the bike race is, is, is hard to come by. I think it's pretty rare. Um, I agree that worlds was awesome. I thought super worlds worked really well. I was super skeptical going in and was, uh, I didn't you know I didn't express my skepticism so I didn't have to eat my words or shut up but I thought it worked really well but I think this that this sort of high drama around a bike race uh, and because it was a grand tour around a bike race for like a week um that is that is a pretty special thing and that really made the season for me
0: uh, a couple notes here first of all I, I'd never heard anybody say televisation and I think that's a great word I think so a- if you've you've just created that word, uh, congrats. That's a good word. You um, check the
1: OED. See if it's been published. And we
0: have talked a lot about the televisation or not of races this show, so it's a good thing that we have this word now. Uh, second of all, I think that uh, I have been accused of taking victory laps after the Vuelta was such an entertaining race, which I say is going to happen every year. And Johnny Long said, I've been taking victory laps as often as I can, because of how entertaining the Vuelta was. But, this is going to be our last show before we head into off-season mode, so it's going to be a few months before I get a chance to do it again. So, one last time. As we said, the Vuelta was highly entertaining. Uh, It really was. And I don't think there's been this much excitement around it for a while. I agree. And, uh, all right, for me, I completely agree with both of those. So, my other sort of moment of the season uh, was Tarepogachar's. Pogacar's amazing into his radio and then we heard it uh i'm gone when he when he imploded and essentially went from being just a little bit down after the time trial to Jonas vingago to essentially being no longer in contention to win the tour de france uh on the 17th stage of the race heading to courchevel that was for me the entertainment of that tour de france it's hard to match that in the past several years and that was the moment where yeah it was it was sort of the climactic moment of the race and there were other moments in that race before that made it highly entertaining when Pogacar struck back uh, after losing some time and and then it, it was like okay this is going to be a race and then yeah that moment and the fact that we got to hear that um, to me that was the big success of the hearing the team radios uh, storyline of the year so Thanks to Tade Pogachar for giving us such entertainment at your own expense. I bet you were not happy uh, when that happened, but we <laughs> all got to enjoy some high drama, sports drama. So thanks for that. And, you know, Tade did win two monuments this year. So he had a heck of a season, and I'm sure he's still at least pleased with some of the things he did this year. So thanks, Tade Pogachar. And thanks, Jonas Vingegaard, for giving us such a great tour. All right. The last sort of general question is uh, hopefully to give our listeners, you know, sort of a cliffhanger vibe. What
1: are we most excited about for next year, Cosmo? I am kind of playing off my welter response. I'm excited. I'm excited for the continued fallout from the failed merger of Yumbo Visma and Quick um, Quickstep. I guess uh, a lot of riders basically got for several weeks, got told that they were not important enough or good enough to rejoin yeah. this new future team. Uh, and now I think they are still riding for the team that told them that, at least many of them are. Um, there is some question over whether share a bike, rent a bike, what's the sponsor? The, the Lisa sponsor? Bike. Lisa Bike, thank you. Uh, there, I don't think we have, you know, numbers that say, yes, this is replacing Yumbo entirely. It may be just sort of... just sustaining the investment through the next season so there may still be this sort of fiscal cliff looming over what has been the the most dominant team this season despite not leading the world tour rankings which is a whole other thing um and i think there's you know looking at how well yumbo rode this season and then looking at how much better s rode this season kind of is there a similar saga about to play out uh on the women's side where you have a team with a lot of really strong riders who are going to be worth a lot of money. Uh, Are they going to be able to find that money? How are they going to segment that, decide who they keep and who they get rid of? Like how are other teams, other sponsors going to try and and take advantage of that? I I think it's, you know, this is, these are questions that are looming or unresolved and will have a huge impact on, you know, what, what the Peloton looks like and, and how it performs next season. Ruth?
2: Yeah, I'm excited for Cavendish to be racing again. I'm a huge Cavendish fan, I always have been. Um, and I i don't know, I, would, I didn't think I was convinced that he would continue to race again, but uh, when he put that video out, I was excited. I'm excited to see that hopefully magical storyline. Um, play out. Uh, and then for the women, I think that not having Anique Van Vluten in the peloton is really huge change. She's dictated so much, I think, a little less in the last two years since I've stopped racing, but um, as someone who quit racing when she was still so so dominant over everything in 21, it just seemed like she would attack and everyone was just waiting to see what she would do and to go, I guess I'll be I'll be back racing then now and she won't be there. and I just think it's going to be really exciting to see how that changes and maybe it won't change as much because she's not been quite as dominant this year but she still won a lot of bike races and she was still never someone you could forget about and just a huge name kind of like when Vanderbriggen left right like so much changed and it's just going to be exciting to see how movistar race how liana lippett kind of um, gets to race after after not having to be as much of a domestique anymore so yeah that, that that primarily on the women's side i think
0: I think it's a great example of how dominant she has been when she wins the Giro and the Vuelta, and yet you're right; she still wasn't as good, maybe, as she has been recently. <laughs> That's how good she was for so long, and I think it's going to be a big, yeah, it'll be it'll be just a different peloton without her.
1: I, uh, I do hope that people took lessons from the P break attack at the at the Vuelta, <laughs> and we see more more cutthroat attempts to shake up uh, Esté Works, assuming they are as dominant next year as they were this year um I, you know it is not fair it is not nice it is not friendly but like it's bike racing and it i think it made for pretty good bike racing i thought the finale of that race with the fog and the mountains and enemy getting dropped all that was just outstanding and it was outstanding because she very uncouthly attacked a a break a few days earlier <laughs> is it carlton kirby who always says all's fair and love war and
0: sprinting i think you can just kind of <laughs> extend that to bike racing in general love war and bike racing yeah. Fair. Uh I am very excited for on the women's side. I don't want to belabor the SD Works points, but look, they finished I mean, they had basically four of the top 5 ranked riders this year. I really want to see more Kapeki Volaring uh battles and I think we might get that with Kapeki wearing the world champion's jersey. Racing so well at the Tour de France, which is something that we didn't expect. Uh, I am very intrigued as to how this team is going to juggle these two super talents. They've done very well so far over the many years that they have had so many talented riders. But I think this is, I don't want to say it's uncharted territory for them, but they haven't had two riders of this caliber at this peak ability head-to-head in certain races where I think they're going to be potentially vying for both of them vying for results. We saw a little bit of it at Strade, and then they managed to kind of bury the hatchet a little bit, but, uh, I think we might get more of that next year and it's, it's going to be entertaining to say the least. Uh, so yeah, that'll be, that'll be great. If any of them that is, can beat Ruth Edwards as she returns to the pro peloton. (laughs) On the men's side, uh, I would love to know, here in October, uh, how Tadej Pogacar is going to bounce back and maybe if he's going to change anything about his season, if he's just going to keep doing what he's doing and race those one days, even though, you know, Jonas Vingegaard is over there just locked in for the Tour de France. Uh, I think that the Tadej Pogacar show will continue, and I think we are very lucky as fans to be able to see everything that he gets to, that he does... Uh, while also trying to target the Tour de France. It's just something that we have not seen in a very long time. Uh, you got a little bit of that from Vincenzo Nibali in, over the course of his career, but not really the year that he actually won the Tour de France. And other than him, that's just not something you see. Uh, we, we have not really seen that from anybody until Tadej Pogacar for like a decade or two. So I am very much looking forward to seeing whether Tadej Pogacar will still be targeting the Tour of Flanders type races and if so, how can he manage to take on the Yumbo visma juggernaut at the Tour de France? Cliffhanger, we'll see. I think that's it for us today and for the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast in the 2023 season. Fortunately, I mean, it's not that long until racing starts again, so you won't <laughs> have to go that long without hearing us. You already made it, you know, this this two-week little break unplanned that we took here. Uh, so you can probably make it through the off-season, dear listeners. And in the meantime, you will still have plenty of placeholders action to talk bike racing, plenty of wheel talk, plenty of geek warning, performance process, and, of course, everything over at com. Ruth, this is the last time we're going to do a podcast with you where you're a former road pro and current gravel pro. <laughs> so best of luck to you as you embark on a new slash old career path
2: yeah thank you so much i'm excited 2023 was a great year for bike racing and i'm excited to be part of it for 2024.
0: can't wait to see you racing in the peloton next year that's gonna be super exciting uh looking forward to it and good luck and in the meantime i hope everybody has a lovely road racing off season Remember that you can watch Cyclocross. I have to say that Thank uh, you. because Cosmo's here.
2: <laughs> no, and it's good. Cyclocross yeah. is so fun. The racing yep. this weekend was good. Watch is, it.
1: Does Kaylee still listen? Kaylee, did you hear that? <laughs> good question.
0: All right. Enjoy the offseason, everybody. We'll be back in 2024. Thanks so much for listening. I had a blast. Did you guys have a blast this year? I hope you did. Yeah. If you didn't, I'm going to edit it out anyway. <laughs> well, I it's said such a good yeah year. already. So Yeah, good. Okay. All right. <laughs> have a good one. Be safe and... Until next time, this has been the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast.